0: To learn about Michael's international retreats and workshops, please visit michaelstoneteaching.com. Thank you for your support.
1: So many teachers here. I'm glad I'm yeah. to a student here with so many teachers. Yeah, <laughs>
0: for all students and for all students. I've given
2: up,
1: hunting my nurse. So,
2: are those of you at the back comfortable? You see okay? Because there is a bit of room here on the side if you wanted to sit closer. Um, So first let me say it's nice to be uh, in Green Bay again. Um, I uh, was in Madison on Thursday. Friday we went to the Christine Center we had a four-day retreat there, uh, which was semi-silent and very accessible and warm. And uh, then the last night that we were there, there was a huge storm. Mm, nice. And it was fantastic. Nice. And I was in wow. a cabin where um, it had a tin roof.
1: Oh, nice, and nice. also <laughs> I
2: could sit out on a screened porch wow. and just like pretty much be in the... The storm, and then at one point, uh, Andrea's car came driving down, and she stopped and went to check on the people who were in tents to see oh. if they were okay because it was really intense. I mean, there were branches flying. Someone got hit by a, oh, wow. a pile of dirt, <laughs> and uh, and then the, the people in the tents they didn't want to leave. They were so happy, <laughs> and then just the next morning, everybody was so settled. Uh, in their practice, it was really lovely. So uh, then, after the retreat yesterday, we drove, obviously, uh, here to Green Bay, and now we get to continue. So it just feels ongoing. And uh, so for me, when I teach, I, I love it the most, where everything's back to back because I just I just feel in it, and, and it's so nice to share uh, the practice. So um, I also should should mention that. Um, I've been to Green Bay so many times now and Madison and uh, Door County and it's really lovely so to be on the retreat this weekend and have Kathleen do the timekeeping and sitting next to Jan and sitting next to Andrea and Carol was right across from me with Monique who I don't know if you know Monique but she might be becoming one of the sweetest people (laughs) ever In Wisconsin. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, and then every year coming back here and seeing how the community grows, and some people leave, and some people come back, and marriages end, (laughs) others start, (laughs) gardens die, then they start again. Um, So it's really. Beautiful. You know, there's uh, like two models for being a teacher that I've learned. One model is you're like the head of a military group and everyone, you know, leaves their personality at the door and you come in and you do the practice and you just keep everything in line. And the other metaphor is that the teacher is a gardener and everybody are the crops and uh, your work is to figure out how to get the field really healthy so that every crop can grow in its own way. And uh, I like both. <laughs> I, like, I like being able to oscillate back and forth because there's some people, they're growing really well and they need a little bit of structure. And then there's other times, no, the most of the time, people don't need any more structure. The structure they have is so strict Even though they might be lazy, the internal structure they have is so strict that they just need somebody to say, here's some tips. And like, you just, you got to let things grow. So, uh, then eventually they say, okay, you know what? I realize that I've been shopping so much, and now I need to get serious about practice and find out how to work with my heart. Because uh, sometimes things are tough you notice this? And uh, things don't turn out the way you wanted them to turn out. Uh, So uh, you need once in a while just to stop and uh, to sit down on your own sitting bones. And um, then uh, to start feeling your breathing. And when people start sitting, the technique I like to teach them at the very beginning is when you inhale, you say to yourself internally peace in can you feel that? so you just close your eyes and just as you're inhaling you say to yourself peace in and as you exhale you just say peace out and that's how I learned, that's the first meditation technique I learned and I feel like I haven't gone too far away from (laughs) that (laughs) so uh, that's where I'd start Um, when you inhale, you just feel peace in and peace out for like five minutes. and then after a while, once you can feel that, then you begin to sense a little more trust in your own experience, because a lot of us, you know, we don't trust ourselves so much. Have you noticed this? We don't trust ourselves so much, so uh, we want so much to, uh, you know, not let our relationships change, or we want so much to keep our career, or we want so much for things to be linear, that uh, we bend our personalities in ways that are sometimes helpful, and sometimes we lose track of ourselves. Sometimes it's really good to bend your personality, but you need to do it without losing track of yourself. So, meditating on the breath even though I don't like the word meditation in case you haven't noticed that today um, starting by really feeling the breath allows you to start to have more trust in your experience and so that's why the calming is really, really important Um, and and now I'm speaking to those of you who've had a long-term meditation practice because I know a few of you do it's very, very easy to think that you're doing pretty good and to have your meditation practice start to slip away because you're really good at the form, but maybe actually the concentration's terrible. And actually, to start having more granular, finer insight, your concentration has to be really, really strong. So, I wanted to talk about that a little bit also because it's really an important part of the practice. So, that's why I like to to find a place in the breathing, not even the whole breath, not the beginning, middle, and end of the breath, but actually just one place in the breath that you can really, really tune into and just start to feel uh, calmness, real calmness. So uh, calmness practice is called shamatha practice. And shamatha basically just means you're, you're cultivating peace. You're cultivating the ability to stop right in the middle of whatever you're in. So you can't actually stop what you're in, but you can actually stop the way that you're treating what you're in, including treating the attitude you have about what you're in. And most of the time it's actually the attitude we have, or the expectations we have about what we're in the middle of, that cause us so much suffering, and is where we lose the sense of being a yogi because um, we become a crazy person
1: <laughs> I do
2: crazy so first we have to get really calm and this is where it's important to be able to use your breathing to do what the Buddha called a calming mental fabrications that's what he called it that as you start to soften your breathing and I love that term you calm, mental fabrications and he says you calm bodily fabrications so it seems like as the mind gets calmer it stops this feedback loop of throwing up sensations in your body that are uncomfortable because have you noticed that when your mind is really busy uh, and you keep following all that business your body is more uncomfortable See, there's this like very deep interrelationship there that nobody completely understands, but we know how to work with. So then, um, we're doing piece in, piece out. Then we're just following like one part of the breath. So my suggestion today, because most people can kind of get into it, is feeling the breath really soft at the tip of the nostrils. Were you able to feel that a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the reason why that's different from feeling the breath in your abdomen is there's less sensation at the tip of your nostrils. So in your abdomen there's more movement and there's more sensation, but when you meditate on the breath, right there at the tip of the nostrils, it gets fine very quickly. It's very, very fine very quickly. And the key is, as you're noticing the breath there, is not to let your eyes turn inward. So to try and keep your eyes in a normal gaze, because you know you can get cross-eyed,
1: you <laughs> can build
2: up tension doing that. Okay. So, so that's the beginning. And that's what I want you to feel. But the goal of the practice is not to just get into a calm state. Because in a calm state, nothing's really moving. So actually, to have insight, you actually need things to move because one of the key insights that we're cultivating in meditation practice is insight into change so that we start to see that underneath wherever we're fixed there's change happening and this is how healing happens, right? healing always happens where something's rigid and then it starts to become more like water or ketchup (laughs) So um, a lot of people, they start doing practice when they're ill. I find that the students who come to practice because they're ill are the ones who really get serious about practice because uh, they're not willing to waste time anymore. And so um, I always joke that there's nothing like a life-threatening illness to get you meditating. It's a very good motivator, and it it really focuses your life. (laughs) Some of you are laughing knowing it's not funny at all. Um, But what practice can do is it can take illness and turn it into a path. And I think sometimes we hear that a lot, but it's not actually until it happens. If you don't get ill, the other thing that brings you to practice is either a broken heart because um, something in your uh, relational life is not working. I I have a theory. Have you noticed I have a lot of theories? (laughs) One of my theories is that our mental health is mostly determined by relationships. I think the quality of our relationships primarily determines a mental health and also really determines our levels of addiction. There's so many great studies, Uh, there's obviously a big one that was done in Vancouver around safe injection sites, where when you get people together who have a heroin addiction, the getting off the addiction is actually not as physiological as people thought. The key to ending addiction is community. And that when you get a lot of people together who are uh, struggling with addiction, the addiction rates go down. Why does it go down? Because what breeds addiction is alienation, is being uh, isolated, you see. So addiction, having a broken heart, illness, you could argue, are all one thing. And, and, and I think that when you can start to feel those threads in your own life, then uh, you're ready to practice because you don't want to waste time and it's not about fashion anymore. I'm sorry for so many Taylor Swift references today. (laughs) Uh, For the past few days in uh, the Christine Center... Yeah, Kathy has no idea who Taylor Swift is. <laughs> 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 some
1: kind of bird? It's who Michael listens to when he runs. I
2: Over the, um, the weekend, uh, this past weekend, at the Christine Center... Has anyone here been to the Christine Center? It's really yes. a beautiful place. Yes, yes. It's in Willard, Wisconsin, which... Um, uh, probably they don't know about Taylor Swift there, either, but they know about uh, tractors, big ones. Big everyone's got a big tractor there. Uh, anyways, I really loved being in you Hillary, see the Wisconsin. Oreo house. The Oreo house. House. I
0: don't think there were any.
1: Oreo out. On the road to the Christine Center, yes. there's a farm where they have these incredible cattle that they're black on the ends and have a oh, nice white band song. around the Oh, really? Uh, they're beautiful. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, amazing. Yeah.
1: They're called Belted yeah. yeah. Galloways. They yeah. look okay. like Goryos. They're called Belted <laughs> Galloways. <laughs> <laughs> but they do look like Oreos. So anyways, <laughs>
2: while I was at the Christine Center, um, I was talking a lot about uh, somebody named Dongshan. Uh, whose name in Japanese, for those of you who are into Zen, is Tozan, which is the To of Soto Zen, the founder of Soto Zen. And uh, I told many stories about Dongshan. One of them is um, one day when Dongshan was leaving his teacher named Yunyon, he said to Yunyon, When I leave here, um, how should I remember your teaching? Or, another translation is, when people ask me what you taught, what should I say? I love that question. And Yunyan responded, "Um, just this is it. Mm -hmm. Just this is it.
1: Mm.
2: And then uh, Yunyan didn't stop there. He then saw that Dongshan was taking it in, and then said to Dongshan, "Um, now this is your matter, and you should be very thorough going. So Now you've started to practice, you understand that you only have this, so now you should let it go all the way through you. And the way I interpret this is, when you practice you should let it go all the way through. Sometimes we only want the practice to go part way <laughs> through. Uh, another story is that um, Isn't that a lovely story? So beautiful. yeah. We spent a whole day on that one. And then the next day, I told another story, which is um, Dongshan became a teacher and said on the last day of a retreat to his students, now go where there is not an inch of grass. Grass is like a weed. So it's like saying, "Now, now leave the retreat and go where there are no weeds. And then a student said, When I leave the gate of the retreat center, the only thing there are are weeds. Right? Going home, Mm
1: -hmm. just
2: weeds. And another student then piped up and said, I don't even have to leave the gate. (laughs) There's just weeds. And I added to the story that probably I would have added. I don't have to get off my cushion. (laughs) There are weeds everywhere, inside and outside. And we talked about how, actually, your practice is working with the weeds. And that if you think... And and sometimes you're the weed. (laughs) But... And we talked about legalizing weed and... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, wrong state. (laughs)
1: state.
2: Anyways, um, I'm not going to get too far into that story, except the suggestion I made to the group was that when you look very closely at weeds, um, you see your life. You see a possibility of, of being awake. And the point of all these stories is not just that they're good stories. It's that if you really take these stories into your heart, each one's a tiny bit different and gives you just a different angle on the same problem, which is being born and having to die and living this like extremely fragile life and appreciating it. So I, I've always said that I think deeper than enlightenment is being able to appreciate your life. Who cares about enlightenment? Just if you can appreciate your life, then you start to see everybody as a Buddha, everybody. So today, Oh, this was all to get to a story. Which is today, I wanted to tell you the story about uh, Dongshan's death. It's a really good one. So, uh, when he was very elderly, Dongshan was ready to die. Do you know people like this? They get to a point where they're ready. So he was ready. So as uh, monks would have done in uh, China, He shaved his head, he got dressed up in his uh, finest robes, and then he rang the bell for the community to come, and he sat down in the zendo. So he went into the temple like this, he sat down, and then he fell over, and he died. And everybody around started crying. Some people wailing, uh, everybody very upset and concerned. And um, while everybody was crying, saying, oh, my God, the best teacher has now died, he sat up. (laughs) He was so disgusted by what everybody was doing that he got up. So he woke up from being dead, and he said, now let's have a feast, a feast for the stupid and he, he literally called it a oh. feast for the stupid, and everyone came, they had a big feast, and then he died. Oh. So, did he go unconscious? Maybe not. Was he joking with a sangha? Probably. He was teaching them a good lesson, though, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, when I was a little kid, I went to a summer camp in Algonquin Park, which mm. is like three or four hours north of Toronto. And it's just an incredible, incredible uh, provincial park. And um, uh, one night when we were nine years old, they took us out, in, it was on, our camp was on like an island, and they took us very, very far in boats. And uh, we went to the place where Tom Thompson was buried. Now, I don't know if you know Tom Thompson, but in Canadian art, one of the great nature, there was a group of nature painters called the Group of Seven, There was one woman in it named Emily Carr. Um, And my favorite of all of them was a guy named Tom Thompson. And uh, anyways, he died a mysterious death. He was out in a canoe painting, and he uh, got tangled up in fishing wire and drowned. And nobody knows what happened. But they buried him on a lake, um, and so we went to go visit his grave. So uh, it was getting dark, And we were all standing in a big circle, and there was a grave, and there was, like, very, very thick, it was in the middle of a forest, like, you could tell no one had been there, and the leaves were very, very thick, and we were all looking at the grave, and then suddenly, he jumped out of the ground, and we went running. I've never been so terrified ever in my life. And, everybody, and it was getting dark, and everyone just ran in any direction, anywhere in the forest, for as far as possible, until um, we could hear that people were laughing. And what happened was, a counselor went early and just buried themselves, and waited for hours, until we were all sitting around.
1: That's
2: yeah, and men just scared the shit out of us.
1: Absolutely. I work it.
2: So what was Dongshan doing? Well, uh, I think he was teaching them about death, which is he wanted everyone to feel what it was like for him to die, and then he wanted to teach everybody uh, how to mourn. He was letting the community get used to him dying. So, when we have people around us who die, uh, we don't always get this chance. Well, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But we can do this with ourselves, no? We can uh, imagine our own death every day in the corpse pose. If you don't have time to practice, you just do the corpse pose. Do you remember the chi machine posture we did today? Doesn't that feel nice? Just letting it all go. And then you just lie down and imagine... You're dead. And then the bell rings, and then you get back up. (laughs) And then you have a feast for the stupid. Can I tell you another story? Once upon a time, when Dongshan was ill, as he was also ill, uh, well before he died, a monastic came to him and asked him, uh, you are ill, but is there anyone who doesn't get ill? So that's like me saying, uh, Kathy, you're ill, but is there someone in you? who doesn't get ill mm-hmm. Dongshan said there is and you'd think the story it would end there right because that's the way we always think about spirituality that there is an us that's the uh, changing impermanent us and then there's something in us that is a very still and very stable that uh, is our stable zen mind so then uh, the monastic said to him, student said to him, does the one who doesn't get ill look after you? Mm. That's a good question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So you're getting, you're, 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 you're ill, but is there something inside you that's not ill? And Dongshan says, yeah, there is this inner stability that doesn't get ill. And then the monk says, well, does that inner one look after you? And Dongshan said, "Um, I look after him. Hmm. I look after him. Then the monastic said, "Uh, so how is it when you look after him? And Dongshan said, there, I don't see that he has any illness. So this is an interesting play. Right? So he looks after. So the one who is ill is looking after the one who's not ill. Does that make sense to you? It's not what you expected, is it? No. Uh, when we're ill, our minds get very preoccupied. And it's easy for our practice to dissolve. And um, one view is that uh, you should practice all the time so you can really touch the one in you that's not ill. But I have a different take on this story. I think maybe it's actually the other way around, which is that maybe the one who is ill humanizes our soul. So maybe, being ill and having a hard time is actually what deepens our Zen heart. So everybody can practice in a way where they can find some stillness. But don't get confused. That's not the goal of the practice. The goal of the practice is that that stillness goes so deep. And the only way it can go deep is through the weeds. So actually, the one who is not ill really needs the illness in order to be humanized. Our strong mind, which we're all learning how to cultivate, uh, doesn't help us get beyond our difficulties. When... Suzuki Roshi, uh, Shinru Suzuki who I've talked about for the past few days a lot had cancer at the end of his life Uh, he was asked about it and he just said um, now I'm cancer and that was his practice so cancer was his practice when you're depressed depression's your practice when your heart's broken broken heartedness is your practice but don't think that you're going to get into a realm of stillness that's going to transcend your problems. That's what the story is saying. The story is actually saying that your problems actually deepen your awareness, not the other way around. Because usually what happens is we think, oh, I'm just going to get so still in meditation, I'm going to do so much yoga, I'm going to have the right flora in my digestive system (laughs) and then I'm going to be really stable for when the going gets tough well in a way it's really important that you do that but also it's precisely the going getting tough that actually deepens the meaning of your life I find this a lot in my own life because uh, depression has always been a big one for me my genetics seem to be weighed in this direction. And so, I always felt as a young person, like... uh, when I sit, I'm a mountain. And then, whenever I feel down, then I just go to the place of the mountain, and then I watch the depression. But then my mom said to me when I was younger, she said, you know what? Uh, When you get older, your depression's gonna get worse. And I used to always say, You know, my mother needs therapy. (laughs) She should be exercising more, all of these things. But then I saw one by one, she has many siblings. Every one of them become more depressed uh, as they got older. Not depressed as people. They're not depressive people at all. But when they got depressed, um, it was worse. And then I started to see that started happening to me also. Probably like four or five years ago that I used to, every once in a while, I would get depressed, like, every four or five years. And then it started happening much more often. So then I started to see, well, you know, the mountain isn't really helping. Mm. I need another metaphor. And then I read this story, Mm. this Dungshan story, and it really helped me. Which is to see that, actually, the mountain, uh, there is no mountain that is so stable that you will be untouched by whatever your genetics have. Maybe, for some of you, it's not depression. Maybe it's like just becoming a neurotic person. (laughs) Or maybe you worry a lot. Or maybe you really, really want alcohol. You know, one of the saddest things uh, for me uh, the past couple of years was um, uh, the death of Philip Seymour Hoffman.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Because... uh, I feel like when he died, every amazing character he played also died. And I just can't watch his movies anymore. He seemed to be the one actor that was not in the tabloids and didn't play that game. Like, really didn't play that game. And um, I feel like the thing that I always related, what I related to in my own life to Philip Seymour Hoffman is he seemed like someone even when he was younger who was never a young person like I feel this way about myself like when I saw C- Philip Seymour Hoffman I never felt like did you know his earlier movies Like he never ever seemed like he ever was young <laughs> you know um, so uh, then uh, he got back into heroin and he overdosed like really fast and you know he left three daughters under the age of twelve, yeah. but do you know that he was clean for twenty-three years? Twenty-three years, yeah. Yeah. and um, and then one day, like that. So I said on the weekend to people, the main reason why you should have a practice is because you have no idea how you're going to need to serve next year, the year after, because you don't know what's gonna happen to your family, you don't know what's gonna happen in your community, and you have no idea what your body's gonna bring. No clue, you have no clue. So, you're lucky because you're here. And some people, they're not so lucky. So one thing that's lucky about Philip Seymour Hoffman or Robin Williams or Stephen Fry, who is alive, is that they had money. And when you have money and you have an addiction or you have a mental illness, you can get taken care of pretty good. You don't end up in a crystal meth den with no hope at all. You have some kind of passion. You know, when you hear celebrities who are struggling with mental illness or struggling with drug addiction, one of the interesting things you always hear is, but they're so passionate about their work that they can still get up and go, go to work. So they're lucky in that way. But not all of us are lucky in that way. So don't wait until you're having a hard time to go deeper in your practice. Do it now. And let the person who's struggling really take care of the one who's not sick. Because the one who's not sick needs some direction. And where's the direction going to come from? It's only going to come from the weeds. It's like when people say, I have so much trouble in relationships, I'm just not going to have them anymore. And I feel like saying that's why you need to be in relationship you're not going to heal that outside of relationship so all this might sound like really good ideas but I'm going to suggest that it actually begins right in the beginning of your breath right at the very beginning of your inhale So, the first work of practice is for you to be able to get calm. Does everybody hear this? I'm not bullshitting. It's so important to get calm. And then, in the calmness, you can start looking more deeply at your experience. And it's traditionally, in Buddhist practice, it's said that there's two wings of practice shamatha vipassana shamatha means to calm uh, vi means to go in and pasha is an i which usually gets translated as insight so vipassana or vipashina so, so they're like two wings of practice so one is learning how to get really calm and then in the calmness looking more deeply yeah it no arise. it's not so much that they don't arise, but that our reactivity really 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 settles yeah. so even if thoughts come, we're just so quiet with them yeah and I'm going to suggest that that's the place where I think a lot of meditators get lazy is that they get used to sitting they can just be there and be fairly calm but that the concentration can actually go so much deeper. And so once you have some calmness, you need to get an object of meditation again and start really building the concentration so your calmness and your relaxation push the envelope of what you're used to. Yeah. So uh, That's for beginners and experienced students alike. I hope you're listening.
1: Um,
2: Okay, so uh, what I want to do is uh, just see if there's any comments or questions and then I brought with me um, something that I thought could help us deepen our practice that we're going to go through together Um, So, but first uh, maybe just for five minutes are there any comments or questions or anything anybody wants to share? Yeah,
0: why were they? Um, why was it that these things stupid? Were they stupid because they were grieving?
2: Yeah, it's and a bit why pejorative, it, I guess, to why say this.
0: Grieving, stupid. <laughs> What's that? Why would the grieving be stupid?
2: It's not that the grieving was stupid, and maybe this is also a poor translation. I haven't even looked at other translations, but it's that he wanted to teach them um, other ways of mourning which is to accept the fact that uh, death is going to happen. And so he wanted to use his own death as a deeper teaching for them to reflect on impermanence and reflect on their own death. So he thought, well, what if I died? And then I got to teach everybody about how to prepare for my dying. And maybe it actually looked different. Maybe the next time he died, people were even sadder or moaned even louder, but they got the chance to treat it as a practice. Mm-hmm. Just like when other people die around us, we shouldn't just be a mess for their death, but we should use it to reflect on our own death. The fact that we're also in, on, the, on the ship that's going down. <laughs> so, um, so he died twice so that he could teach it the first time.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, that suggests that these people never experienced death elsewhere.
2: Or that they experienced death elsewhere, and he wanted them to reflect more deeply, this is my reading, on their own part of it. It's not just about him, it's about them also. Or you can read it that they were just dumb. <laughs> thought they were dumb. Yeah?
1: Does that mean that they're not supposed to be feeling their feelings? That they're, they're trying to be doing something? I thought the idea was when you had a feeling to really go deeply into it. Yeah. And then it will release. Sure. that's suggesting
2: that you don't do it. Mm. Uh, no, 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 no. You feel your feeling. You go very deep in it. But he wanted them to see that. What they were feeling was also in the context of their own impermanence also, not just his. So he's the teacher. He's using it as a as a teaching opportunity.
0: Because you said earlier if something happens that's similar to a different story, you run that story. So yeah. kind of what they were doing, they like they someone died so they might have gone back to a parent or a Partner of someone dying, and then sure, that's one story, way of thinking so maybe about not it. Not living in the present of this situation, yeah. but running the story. Yep. So, you wanted them to really focus on the now and his dying, yeah. Not necessarily
2: yeah, that's a good interpretation for sure. Yeah,
0: Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm reflecting on the, the teaching about uh, the one who is ill or struggling, yeah, helping the one. and as many people here, you know, I have experienced that, and so, yeah, yeah, I I know that. But equally as well, I know that the stillness and the one that is not ill helps the Mm -hmm. one that is ill, so Mm -hmm. I see it as not one or the other, Mm -hmm. but the supports and how it works together, and so... And so you're agreeing, and so why is it the teaching is so focused on one and not the other?
2: Because we're all used to the story of the one who's not ill helping the one who's ill. And he's trying to flip that around. And actually, to take that even further, um, he had a teacher named Guishan. Listen to this story about Guishan. Once when Dawu returned from attending sick people, maybe he was a nurse or visiting as a chaplain, Guishan asked him, how many people were sick? Dawu said, there were the sick and the ones who were not sick. Guishan said, aren't you the one not sick? Dao said, being sick and not being sick have nothing to do with him at all. So remember I was saying all these stories have just a different angle? So one angle is, and we all know this one, there's one who's not sick. Then the story that I told earlier was, well actually, the one who is sick takes care of the one who's not sick also. That's not the story we usually tell. Like I don't hear psychotherapists talking about how privileged they are that they get to work with people who are suffering. We often don't hear about how sick people, literally, are also helping the ones who are not sick. So then there's this version, which is just another shift. Dao returned from attending the sick, and Guishan asked him, How many people were sick? And Dao avoided the saying how many, but he just said, There were people who were sick, and there were people who were not sick. Right? If you go to a hospital, you see people are sick. And sometimes the people, who seem not sick, are actually the people who are the sickest. It's called psychiatry. And then Dao said, uh, actually being sick and not being sick have nothing to do with it at all. So that's another interesting thing. Because sometimes somebody's really sick, but they're like right there in the sickness, and they're totally awake. And everyone around them is suffering because the one they love is sick, but the person who's actually sick is like totally in their life.
0: The one said, I'm cancer.
2: Yeah. Shinru Suzuki, who you'd all think would say, you know, I'm above the cancer, he's just like, no, I'm cancer. So these are all just different, you don't have to land on one of them. They're just different angles to kind of see our assumptions from a different light. So sometimes we identify with the one who's not sick. Like I say when people have a lot of anxiety you should really try and find the one who's not anxious. Mm -hmm. So you can see the anxiety from that place of stability. And then when someone has a broken heart I always say well actually you should really be in the broken heart place. And let the broken heart person deepen the spiritual person. You know, uh, I said to Andrea on the car, you know, she had a hard year this year and I said, oh, you know, wasn't the teaching good? She's like, oh, it was the best teaching. <laughs> I always feel that when I'm at my worst, it's always the best teaching. <laughs> and then another angle is actually forget those categories sick, not sick, dying, alive like actually another way of looking at it is if you're right there you're actually not sick don't fall for that category like if you really are cancer then there isn't any cancer there's just actually what's happening cancer is your way of then theorizing about what's happening Mm -hmm. But if you're right there in cancer, there isn't any cancer. It's not that there's no cancer, but there's no cancer. Are you completely confused now?
0: I just keep thinking about how you, know, you have your stories and you run them with the sick and not sick and, and how easily like some of these stories trigger yeah. and then how, how people in your life either <clears throat> help you with your story or call you on your bullshit uh-huh. and it and, and it's always funny to see who pops into your life at what moments and and whether you pay attention to it and learn yeah. You get sucked into the story with this person you keep running the story or yeah. you're like wait a second and someone calls you on your b- bullshit and you're pissed but then you're like wait okay got it you know so yeah how your life ebbs and flows with people yeah. and how you allow to allow you to stay in the cycle or jump out. Yeah. So I, I always find it interesting how friends or just even meeting people in the store, you yeah. know, and, and how you interact with them and you're yeah. like, huh, how, is that okay? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: You had your hand up too.
0: Just a little... Um, I know a lot of psychotherapists get a bad rap, but uh-huh. many are so um, humbled and honored to sit with people in their suffering yeah, as well, totally. and learn as much yeah. as the client. And back yeah, and forth.
2: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. As someone who trained in psychotherapy, I, I feel like I have allowed to knock therapists as much as possible, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't really like mean knocking. it. Yeah, I don't really mean. Uh, another another question or comment,
1: yeah? The uh, story where the monk lays over and sort of pretends to die.
2: Yeah.
1: And then wakes up right. and it's, structured, like, it's like going to a wake.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And I've had the opportunity to go to many lately. Because yeah. Because that's what happens.
2: People are dying. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> and I know a lot of Yeah. And each time, the way that people relate within that um, if it's really sudden there's a lot of sadness yeah but if it's expected there's a lot of release Yeah. Um, one gentleman had Alzheimer's and his wife was so ecstatic at the mm-hmm. it was just this and that created a tone for everyone else yeah. Yeah. but I guess what I'm saying is that it, you get to participate in it, and it just deepens the appreciation. Of For sure. For You're sure. not that.
2: Yeah. And yeah. Kindness,
1: it's, it's it doesn't exist. Yeah. Because you don't. It just doesn't.
2: Yeah. Thank you.
1: Well, isn't there a story uh, about the Buddha when the Buddha was sick, yeah. He's dying? And it's, Old old age, yeah. And his attendant Ananda, yeah. The story goes that Ananda didn't quite reach enlightenment until after the Buddha's death, yeah. And yeah. he didn't want the Buddha to die, so yeah. When the oh, he was would, so sad.
2: Yeah. The Buddha kept the Buddha's dying, and he's just like Ananda. It's like, <laughs> stop crying.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the whole the whole teaching around yeah. a lot of those stories is that yeah. the attachment, yeah, and the inability to really actually experiencing the teaching. So yeah. I think about. Um, the stories of the Buddha and Ananda, and, yeah. and trying to convey to Ananda that this is the journey, I'm, I'm finishing the journey. It's like Ananda, yeah. come on. The same thing with Tozan, where he, okay, now
2: let's talk about the journey. Cause right. This is it. Because this is it. Yeah. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, the story of the Buddha's death is he, when he was dying, Ananda was a mess, mm-hmm. and uh, the Buddha was really hot, and Ananda kept pouring water on him, trying to cool him down. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they say now that, you know, some scholars say now that the Buddha was probably murdered, actually. They think the Buddha was murdered. He was poisoned. Poisoned? Yeah. And, um, and Ananda, he was just, Ananda was such, Ananda had been his assistant for 50 years, mm-hmm. just over 50 years, and, um, and was the only person who didn't get enlightened in the story. Um, and anyways... Um, Then the Buddha said, his last words to Ananda were, uh, trust yourself. That's what he kept saying to him, just trust yourself. And uh, everything is impermanent, so tread the path with care. And then he died. Trust yourself. Everything is impermanent. So, be really careful. Not careful like cautious, but take really good care. So this is, I think, so beautiful. So let's have a break on this uplifting note.
1: <laughs>
2: um, and uh, I, can we have a short break? Is that possible? Like maybe just five minutes? Okay, and then, and then I want to go through your homework together.